You are now listening to The Shyest Podcast, when millions of opinions just aren't enough. Hello again, everybody. The Chiefs picked up a big win at home against the Chargers to start week two, and it's time for the Pick'em Show. Hello. Oh, it has been a long week battling COVID, but... Even though I may sound like garbage, I'm going to do this show anyway. My co-host, as you know, Kristen Ortiz, she is also sick with COVID. She either got it from me, or she also got it at the Bills game. Either way, she's got it worse than I do right now, so she's going to sit this week out. I'm going to do this one solo, and we're going to see how it goes. It's been a while since I've done a solo show as well. Um, but if you're here joining me, you know what to expect. So, you know what? Let's start with that Chiefs-Chargers game on Thursday. You know, if, if you're a Chargers fan and you watch that game, you probably weren't too thrilled as Justin Herbert got uh, injured. He's got some apparently broken rib cartilage. I don't know if that means that he has a broken rib. But uh, it came on a hit, I think, in the fourth quarter, and it was not a dirty hit. I know a lot of people have said that it is dirty and that the Chiefs were trying to hurt him, and I'm sure the Chiefs were not pulling their punches on contact, but I would not say that they were trying to hurt him. Uh, On the particular play that he got injured, he makes the throw, he's in the grasp of the defensive player, and the defensive player is taking him to the ground, but also releases their grasp on the quarterback on the way down as designed to not get that flag and Herbert happens to land awkwardly on the helmet of the defender and that's what caused the injury Uh, and then he got hit a few plays later as well didn't really get hit in that spot but I mean you could tell that he was definitely in pain definitely favoring those ribs and there was a play not too long after that where he tried to scramble and just you know had to throw the ball into the ground he was in so much pain but that being said uh he showed a ton of heart a ton of toughness came in and i think connected on like a 50 yard connection down to the one and ended up ended up getting a garbage time touchdown to josh palmer um but you know he played he tried so i don't think you can really doubt his commitment it's a question more of coaching at that point. They're down 10 inside of two minutes. Like, do you really want him on the field favoring an injury like that where if he really gets hurt, you know, you've seen it with Drew Brees and some other guys that have been out for, you know, 10 weeks with a rib injury. So that's uh, one of many coaching uh, issues that popped up during this game. And it's funny that after week one, I had said that Brandon Staley looked to me to be more conservative than he was last year. And then coming into this game, a lot of the criticism coming out around it was him being uh, overly conservative here. And I don't know if that's really the case. I think there was a fourth and short early in the game that they could have gone for and they elected not to. Uh, and they took the they took the points there on a fourth and two at the 13. So that's a play where they probably usually go for the touchdown there. Um, but you're looking at another fourth and two at midfield later in the half, early in the second quarter ish. Uh, fourth and two at Kansas City 47. They punt there. That's one that they usually go for. Um, but I think Staley has shown more confidence in his defense. And, uh, I mean, for what it's worth, they really weren't letting the Chiefs score. So it's not exactly like uh, it was killing them. Like, 
they improved the defense for a reason so that they could punt and play field position and things like that. And they did it again right after that. They got the ball down to the Kansas City 48 and punted again. So I think those kind of things people are going to look at. And especially if you're a Chargers fan, like you know your team has a good offense. I think you want them to try and take that shot. I, I'm guessing that the problem was that the Chargers uh, run game wasn't popping as much as they would have liked it. I mean, they carried the ball 24 times for 75 yards. So that's, you know, about three yards a carry. So that's really not uh, a confidence booster when you're going into a third down or fourth down and short situation. Uh, you're basically telegraphing that you have to pass there. And although the Chiefs were not matching up well in the first half pass-wise, uh, it still it removes a layer of deception from your play-calling ability. So... I would have assumed that the Chargers probably go for it at least on one of those fourth downs, but they carried a 10-7 lead into the half. They got the ball back to start the second half, and they go up 17-7. And so realistically, like even if you didn't agree with his maybe conservative approach, they're up 10 to start the second quarter, and their defense is playing really well. The Chiefs hadn't done anything really uh, since their touchdown. They had had a set of three plays, and they lost 11 yards. They went seven plays for 29 yards and punted, and uh, another drive of five plays for 21 yards and punted, another drive of three plays for four yards and punted in the first half. Chargers defense is playing well, and you're on the road. You're up 10. I really don't think that's a bad situation for the Chargers to be in at all. And I, I think if you're a Chargers fan, you're looking at that you're probably fine with it. If, if you, in a vacuum, if you're just like, hey, we're going to get the ball to start the second half and go up 17-7 on the Chiefs on the road. Take out all of the other information about how you get there. I think most Chargers fans will be happy with that. Um, the Chiefs went into the locker room and they made some adjustments, though. Um, after that initial uh, touchdown to start the half, the Chiefs answered back with finally a touchdown of their own. Uh, they went seven plays, 75 yards, and this was the Mahomes to uh, Justin Watson connection that, you know, this was, a, this was a very close play. I mean, Mahomes is flipping it out there on kind of like an awkward toss. Uh, he's got tons of arm strength, but uh, the ball barely gets over the defender's hand uh, to Watson for the touchdown. So, you know, if that ball gets knocked away right there or it gets dropped or it's just an inaccurate throw because of the way he threw it, you know, this is still a 17-10 game uh, more than likely. And without, excuse me, uh, Harrison Bucker in the game, you know, that was on a third and 10. So realistically, the Chiefs probably punt there. It's 17-10. And then they're going to really have to make some defensive stuff happen. But they score. And then they come out and they force a, uh, a quick three and out, um, which is important because they were getting absolutely killed by Mike Williams in the first half. And I don't know exactly why uh, or how they took away Mike Williams. I would have to look at the, the tape a little bit more uh, specifically, but I, I don't understand the Chargers not even wanting to throw in the ball once on that first series uh, after the Chiefs score because they came out on that touchdown drive and, you know, they used Eckler, they used Everett, um, and they hit Mike Williams for a 14-yard gain, uh, and then he ends up scoring the touchdown there. And at the time that he scored the touchdown, the Chiefs couldn't stop him. And so this is already into the second half. Uh, and so to think that somehow the Chiefs made like an adjustment between the touchdown and the um, the subsequent punt on the next series for the Chargers, I didn't see what it was. I mean, you can bracket help that way, but regardless, they don't even throw him a pass attempt on the next drive and they go three and out. And... That, you know, to the Chargers' uh, credit and to the credit of their defense, they forced a quick three and out right back, and they get the ball back. So, okay, 17-14, like that last series maybe necessarily didn't look great, um, but they come out and they go three and out again, and they don't throw Mike Williams the ball again. Uh, they made, The Chiefs made a nice adjustment along the defensive line. I think they swapped uh, Chandler Jones' position to get a better matchup, and as soon as they did that... Uh, 
all of a sudden their defense started to come alive. Sorry, I'm not Chandler Jones. What am I talking about? Chris Jones. I still got COVID fog. I'm still battling through COVID myself. And it is Chris Jones, their uh, near legendary defensive tackle. And they made a, I think they just made an alignment swap. They moved him over and he had a much better matchup. And uh, he comes away with a huge sack on third and 10. And all of a sudden, 17-14, Chiefs are getting the ball back. It's late in the third quarter now. And momentum has now slipped away from the Chargers. They just, they went three and out back to back without throwing Mike Williams the ball after Mike Williams had been dominating. And I can, I can understand to a degree, like we want to run the ball. We want to take time off the clock. We had the lead. We want to keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands. I understand all that stuff. Uh, But just looking at what's happening in the game, they had no answer for Mike Williams. So when you go back-to-back series without throwing him the ball and you go three and out in both of those series, I mean, that raises some legitimate questions. Anyway, the Chiefs get the ball, and they're able to work their way into field goal range here, and uh, Mahomes is starting to work some things out. They get Kelsey a little bit more involved. Um, Hardman picked up a nice gain there, and they get down to fourth and goal at the one. And this is an interesting decision for Andy Reid because if they opt to go for that there and don't get it, you know, you're down, you're still down 17 14 at that point, and you've kind of seeded momentum back. And, oh, excuse me, you kind of seeded momentum back to them at that point. And kicking the field goal there, uh, you know, you tie the game. You just you you continue to put the pressure on the Chargers, especially after back-to-back three and outs. You tie the game and you let them know that, you know, they don't have necessarily the possession lead anymore. They still technically do because they they will be getting the ball and they got the ball first and a half. But you let them know that like you're gonna fight them every inch of the way and you're just gonna continue to add pressure on them. And so. This next series is probably the one that decided the game here. And the Chargers came out. Uh, this was a unnecessary roughness penalty that gets enforced on Kansas City on the kickoff. And the Chargers start at the 40. So after all the momentum that got sucked away, it's like they get great starting field position. They're probably going to kick a field goal at least on this drive based on where they started. And... Uh, they come out, they start to get Eckler a little bit more involved uh, right away. They hit Palmer on first down, on a first down after Eckler picks up the first down. Uh, Carter picks up another gain, Everett picks up a nice gain there, and then on a second and three, Herbert finds Gerald Everett uh, out to the right. Everett, I think he like breaks a tackle, runs through a guy, gets all the way down to the three yard line, and it was like 25 yards, he fought off a couple of defenders. But anyway, watching this game, Everett gets up, and he's clearly tired. He's waving to the sideline to take him off. And as I'm watching the broadcast, I see this. I'm like, oh, he's tired. And uh, so he's waving to come off. And they cut to a wider angle. And all of a sudden, I see him running back onto the field. So the Chargers are trying to go hurry up. So this is another one of those coaching decisions where I'm looking at Staley. And look. I understand you wanting to get your guys out there. This was a big play where the Chiefs defense is going to have to run to set up uh, their defense as well on the goal line. So you want to catch them off guard. Totally get it. Uh, You have, however, your tight end signaling you to take him out of the game. Uh, But you trot him back out there and then you split him out wide. And you're having him run a route on this play, which, okay, if, if you want to throw on first and first and goal from the Kansas City three, that's still okay. I can I can deal with it. You're the Chargers. You guys like throwing the ball. Like if you're going to throw, you maybe want to get it out of the way here a little bit early. If I'm really trying to catch the Chiefs off guard there, I'm probably just going to hurry up and either run and get like a maybe a short delay or a quarterback sneak with Herbert or pitch it or hand it off. Like I'm probably not going to throw there if I'm the coach. But I understand team identity and what they want to do there uh but the coach doesn't see that everett is exhausted and on on the route designed for him uh it's kind of like an arrow route back to the middle 
and he is tired and he doesn't run the route and you know he doesn't maybe communicate to Herbert Herbert doesn't recognize that he wants out of the game that ball should have never gone to him and uh, Herbert threw a bad ball there straight up like he he didn't recognize a he didn't recognize his guy was tired B he didn't recognize that his guy like didn't put on the put in the effort on the route uh, and C they just like they rushed this play like he didn't really go through his read progressions he kind of figured that that was gonna be there and it wasn't and he throws a pick and not only is it a pick but Jalen Watson takes it uh, 99 yards to the house for the go-ahead touchdown for the Chiefs um, so that's one of those things where you know the media is gonna be on Staley and you know if they if they score there and they're up 24 17 and they win that game you probably don't question it the thing is more about the awareness of paying attention to your guy wanting out of the game and then not trying to give him the ball on the very next play so i mean this is still a young coach it's still a young quarterback still a young team for the most part and without keenan allen being in the game like your go-to targets are not there um but again on this series they don't throw the ball to mike williams so i don't know what's going on uh, even if they switched the matchup on Williams, like Williams was killing everybody. They were throwing him very contested balls in the first half and he was coming down with everything. So uh, I don't know exactly uh, what it was. I would definitely have to go back and look at the tape. But whatever it was, the Chiefs found a way to discourage that ball going to Mike Williams or the Chargers wanted to use him as a distraction and start throwing the ball elsewhere. So regardless of the, the reasoning, the outcome was Mike Williams not getting the ball in a game where he was mostly dominant throughout the whole first half and early into the second half. So then in 17-24, Chargers get the ball back, uh, and they come out and they go three and out. And they pick up a false start on uh, a fourth and four where they were going to go for it, it looks like. And oh no, sorry, they were they were punting on that formation. They still fall started because um, they were throwing 31. They're not going to go for it there. But now those decisions to not go for it earlier are starting to weigh heavier on this team. And the pressure, like the pressure, got to them for sure in this game. And you started to see like maybe some of the criticisms of Justin Herbert come to the surface. And in watching this game, I saw a lot of people online talking about that Justin Herbert is not good, uh, that he sucks, that he doesn't deserve to be in the elite conversation, etc., etc. And I don't know how anybody could watch that game and think that he isn't good. He realistically, up until the point he threw the interception, I think I saw him throw maybe three bad passes. I think the interception was the fourth one, but he ended up throwing the ball 48 times and maybe four of those were bad. But other than that, like he made some really good throws. Uh, he, you know, led them to a 17-7 lead. Some of the throws he made to Mike Williams were incredible. Like, there was no window for him to really get that ball in there, but he still put it in a place where only Williams could get it. And then he comes out and he, uh, he soldiers on after that, uh, after getting injured late in the game. Um, it was the, the next sequence for them. Uh, but they went three and out. They punt, but the defense comes out, forces the punt. So they get the ball back. They're down a touchdown. There's six minutes to go in the game, and this is uh, Herbert on the third and two. Uh, he gets sacked, but he completes it, and uh, he's, he's just injured on that play. So he converts the third down on the throw where he gets hurt, but then you can see that uh, the pain is bugging him, and he's incomplete to Everett. He's incomplete to Williams after that, and at that point in the game... Uh, you have to wonder if if he was going to continue the game at that point. And then the Chiefs go down the field uh, on their next drive after uh, after that uh, punt by the Chargers, and they tack on a field goal. So it's 27-17 to 17 at that point. It's a 10-point game. There's three minutes left in the game. And, I mean, I, I understand... Herbert wanting to be out there. I understand that for sure. Um, but I don't know that he necessarily needed to be out there in a game where they're down 10 with three minutes. Like, when you think about the worst case scenario of what could happen with an injury that he's having 
or with the injury that it appears to be at the time, I, I didn't think it was worth it. I think if that injury gets worse, uh, if he gets knocked out of the game beyond that and that injury gets any worse, like you could lose him for nearly the whole season. So I didn't look at it like it was worth it. Um, I get that it's an early season game and it's a, a still technically a winnable game down 10, but just I would have taken him out at that point. And I mean, it says a lot about him. Uh, it says a lot about like what he wanted to do for his team. So I think it shows a lot of good leadership from him. And even though like he looked terrible out there in moments, he also managed to find uh, a massive 35-yard pass on a fourth and one from the KC 43. So they finally decide to go for it on fourth and one inside Kansas City territory, where they're uh, they're down 10 now, though, so they don't really have a choice. And he finds uh, Carter for a 35-yard gain, and they're down inside uh, inside the 10 at that point. Uh, two-minute warning hits, so it's like, all right, well, you're going to go into this game. There's going to be less than two minutes left, so even if you score, you're still down an extra score. You're going to have to kick an onside kick here. They do end up hitting Joshua Palmer for that seven-yard touchdown. Um, so as someone who jammed Palmer into my lineup because of the injury to Keenan Allen, uh, it was nice to see the garbage time touchdown, but, you know, they scored with a minute 11 on the clock. So to me, down 10, a minute 11, like you need a miracle. It's not quite garbage time, but it kind of was. Uh, they, but they go for the onside kick. They damn near get it, too. It bounces off whoever it was that came in and uh, tried to get their hands on it first. And unfortunately uh, for the Chargers, it bounced away. And I think it was Noah Gray came up with it and then come out for a knee at that point And... The game's over. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, that's COVID. I'll edit that out, though. Uh, so, you know what? All things considered, like, the Chargers played well. I think they probably have some positives to take away from that game. But that is a loss, and your quarterback's hurt. Uh, I just, you know, I picked the Chiefs to win. I picked the Chiefs to cover, and they were about to cover, too. And at the last second... I had initially taken the under in this game, and at the last second, I just thought, you know what, like, they're gonna score on each other, I'll take the over on 54, and they ended up at 51, so I was very close to hitting all three picks again, but, you know what, it's football, things happen, you know, late touchdowns in a 10-point game uh, with a quarterback who's injured, sometimes it happens, and when you're on the receiving end of it, it's not great, but, uh... That'll still keep me out in front of my Pick'em Leagues with that first one. And uh, we'll move on to the next game. And since my co-host isn't here, um, I'm just going to go through these games, uh, introduce them. I still got the Rids picks involved, so we'll still get that uh, cracking. And let's see. The first game on deck is the Miami Dolphins at the Baltimore Ravens. And uh, for the most part, this is a good matchup. Uh, to be fair uh, Miami snuck out that win in well they didn't sneak it out but they they won 20 to 7 against the Patriots they look good uh, they're I think they've beaten the Patriots like five times in a row now so there's definitely a matchup uh, advantage for Miami there Ravens look pretty good too as they dominated the Jets um, but if I'm looking at quality of victory I would say Miami definitely gets the quality bonus there Similar to how I thought the Chargers win over the Raiders was a better quality win than the Chiefs over the Cardinals. So there's definitely that element that I need to take into account here. Um, I'm going to quickly take a peek at the uh, depth charts. Sorry. Uh, we're going to do this all live because... That's how I'm rolling today. Um, my gut says Miami is in a good position to win this game unless something unexpected happens. I think, I mean, Dobbins might play, but uh, I know there was another uh, injury to somebody on the Ravens, and I, I'm going to pull it up. Trust me. I will see it. 
Uh, and that was who somebody tore their ACL, another guy in the secondary. Um, bear with me. I will find the answers. But somebody else got hurt for them. Uh, Dobbins is still kind of eh on the... Uh, oh, it's Kyle Fuller. So Kyle Fuller's out. Humphrey's questionable. Peter's questionable. Um, Tyus Bowser, questionable. David Ajabo's out. You got a couple guys on IR at the linebacker uh, spots. So I think Miami is a lot better than the Jets. You still got Dobbins questionable. Ronnie Staley, one of their better offensive linemen, is doubtful. Uh, Patrick Card is questionable as well. And who else? Uh, other than that, looks okay. Uh, looks like Kevin Carter is out for Miami. You got some questionables with Salvin Ahmed, Taron Armstead on the O-line. But if they play through it, I see some full practice, some limited practice here. So you're probably going to give the health advantage to Miami. My gut is telling me that Miami is going to win this game on the road. Um, as I'm looking at it here, they are plus 158. Uh where uh, Baltimore is minus 190, three and a half point spread. This is a good spot to get Miami as underdogs. Uh, Lamar's still the best player on the field, but in terms of weaponry, like if you can get the ball out of his hands, uh, I think their weaponry might be a little bit too much at this point, especially if Humphrey and Peters are not 100%. Uh, they're going to have their hands full on the defensive side of things. Uh, and right here, we'll go and we'll get uh, Rids. She made her picks, so let's get her picks in here. Rids picks. Baltimore Ravens. Okay, uh, moving on. I'm going to try and go fast. We're about half an hour into this already, and I want to get it in under an hour because I got other work to do, and I'm not feeling 100%, so... I just wanted to make sure that I stayed consistent with this and that I put my picks on record for anybody that actually wants to take my advice. I started the season solid. I missed a couple that I could have gotten, so I really wasn't that far off. And I was 3-2 and two on underdog picks, so not too bad. Uh, but next we got uh, the Jets at 0-1, sorry. 0-1 Jets at plus 228, going to Cleveland at 1-0. Six and a half point dogs over under 39 and a half. Whew. You know, the Jets didn't look good in week one, and Flacco's still going to be out there. Um, you know what? The Cleveland defense is pretty solid, even though they ended up seeding some points to Baker Mayfield, but Mayfield knows that defense pretty well, too. And when it comes down to it, uh, I got to take the team. Uh, with the superior defense against the team that still, despite them throwing the ball 50 times, like, I think it was like almost 60 times actually, but I, I'm not convinced that the Jets are ready to improve uh, just yet. So I got to go with Cleveland on this one. Cleveland to cover six and a half seems doable. The Jets might sneak in there and, and cover that. Um, and I think the what was the first game was like thirty to seven for the Jets, something like that. So, you know, the under is definitely in play. Cleveland managed to score twenty four. Yeah, they got to thirty three in the first game against uh, Baltimore total. Um, so setting the over under here at what was it thirty nine and a half. Probably got to take the under here. Rids picks. Go big or go home. Rids is taking the Jets. And then we go on to the Colts, minus 165 at the Jags, plus 140. Uh, Jags, three-point dogs. But, you know, when this line came out, uh, Michael Pittman was playing. And so with him coming out of the game, and I think their number two guy is out too, Alex Pierce, also out. Uh the Colts already don't win in Jacksonville. They're like 0-6 their last six trips to Jacksonville. And Jacksonville played pretty good in week one. You take away Matt Ryan's number one option. Like, okay, you're going to load up. Jonathan Taylor probably has a good game. Hines probably has a good game. But all of a sudden, this is a very, very, very extra losable game for the Colts who always lose in Jacksonville anyway. 
ooh, plus 140. I mean, it's not like super good odds, obviously. Like, even with Pittman being healthy, plus 140 was um, an interesting line. If you could get the Jags at plus 140, that's not bad. Uh, they were winning against uh, Washington on the road. So there is some signs there. And, like, the Colts put up a ton of offensive yardage but couldn't score against Houston. So <sighs> they're still working stuff out. Uh, I don't know. I'm tempted to take the Jags in this one. Uh, I could take them straight up here because they're only three-point underdogs. I could see the Jags winning this game. So, uh, oof. you know, I may live to regret it, but whatever. Jags. Rids picks. Jaguars. Next up, we have the Bucks on the road. Uh, at New Orleans, they're only minus 140 favorites. They have a tendency to lose to, excuse me, uh, the Saints during the regular season, at least. Uh, I think Brady's 0 for 4, 0 for 6 against them in the regular season. Something crazy. Um, I think it's 0 for 4, uh, but he beat him in the playoffs. And now they're heading into a matchup where it looks like Godwin is not playing if I am not mistaken let me double check that um but if godwin's out you know leonard fournette looked pretty good mike mike evans still looks good so there's not a real reason to think that they can't produce but it's still up in the air like they still struggle against this saints team uh for whatever reason it just it is what it is and I, where's the Bucks injury report here? Yeah, Godwin's out. Julio's questionable already. Like, surprise, surprise. Donovan Smith got hurt in week one. He's doubtful. Uh, backup corner, doubtful as well. Got Russell Gage dealing with a hamstring injury. Uh, Perriman is questionable. Even Mike Evans is hurt, and so is Leonard Fournette. Like, these guys are probably all going to play. But it's an early season game where you have to kind of tabulate uh, long-term effects of this game. And the Saints are the kind of team that they are more likely to apply pressure and try to maybe uh, go all out to win this game. Whew. I don't know. I see Paulson Adebo is out, uh, but he's the only guy that's out. Kamara is still questionable. But, you know, the way that... Uh, why can I not think of his name right now? It's because of the brain fog. Michael Thomas, uh, he came back, scored a pair of touchdowns. Jarvis Landry looked good in this offense. Even the the, the rookie kid, Olave, Olave, I'll never know how to pronounce it, so I'm just going to say both. Uh, this guy uh, caught, all of his, caught all of his catches. I think he had like four for 30-something uh, and a two-point conversion, so they're figuring it out. Uh, they were in danger there against this Atlanta team, so I don't know that their defense is great. So Fournette and Evans and Brady, like, they just might be enough if they're healthy enough. Oof. Tough, tough game to call. It's hard to pick against Tom Brady, especially, you know, when he's lost four in a row to this team. It seems like he's due. And, oh, it's such, such a tough call. I don't know. In my gut says go with the Bucks because they're probably the better team overall. I think their defense is better. And after seeing what they did to Dallas, I think they can be problematic for the Saints offensive line. And you really don't run on the Bucks either. <sighs> yeah, I got to go with the Bucks. I think just they'll come with a game plan that's designed specifically to win this game. They may not air it out, Brady may not look great but they'll find a way to involve the tight ends and run the ball and yada yada. So I'm going to actually take the Bucks to win this one. They're only two and a half point favorites too. So I'm going to take them to win because in theory, the quality of their win over Dallas should be better than the quality of the Saints win over the Falcons. And they, you know, dismantled Dallas even while Dak was in the game. So that's the question. Uh, I think the Saints have a little bit more weaponry uh, overall than Dallas, maybe. I know it sounds weird, but I can acknowledge that. But I, I have to take the team uh, that I think has the defensive advantage because that's just basically uh, what I always do. Except for I didn't do that on Thursday. Uh, I ended up taking the team at home 
that needed the W. But screw it, Bucks. Rids picks. Rids win Saints. Moving on, we have Carolina 0-1 at the Giants 1-0. Carolina's plus 110, Giants minus 130 coming off their win over the Titans. I mean, that was a big win for the Giants and for Dable in general. But Carolina did show some promise. They were down. They came back. They took the lead. They probably should have won that game. I don't know if it was more so that the Titans are just kind of anemic. They couldn't really score the way they wanted to. Um, it's a tough game. It's a tough game to call. Uh, the Titans, you know, they need, excuse me, the, the Giants, uh, whether or not they win, it's like, hey, they got the first one, they're off the schneid with that, so it's not uh, necessarily must win already at this stage. Carolina, they took the loss, they kind of need it more, uh, and they were able to see some things that helped them out. Uh, you know, Baker didn't play amazing, but, you know, neither did Daniel Jones. Uh, Jones didn't really throw the ball that much. Saquon Barkley uh, ran wild, but uh, Carolina gave up a ton of yards to Chubb, and Kareem Hunt scored two touchdowns as well, so there is reason to think that the Giants uh, do have some leverage going into this game. Everybody thought Carolina should have been favored against, or should have beat Cleveland too. Uh, they were favored by three and a half, but that was one of the upset games where I picked Cleveland to win. The Giants are going to be without Aaron Robinson, uh, Wandale Robinson, Nick McLeod, uh, Jason Pinnock. They're also doubtful on a couple of uh, outside linebackers. Kadarius Toney, still questionable as well. That's definitely not good news. Uh, Carolina looks mostly healthy. Carolina needs this one in a big way, and I think maybe getting the emotion out of the last game against uh, Cleveland and the whole Baker Revenge game stuff. I think there's a reasonable chance that Carolina wins this game uh, on the road and just kind of starts fresh uh, in the Baker Mayfield era. Rids picks. She's going Panthers too. Next game on deck is New England 0-1 at the Steelers 1-0. I don't know how the Steelers are underdogs at home in this game, I mean, especially looking at week one. It's like, yeah, okay, I know TJ Watt got hurt, but I would have to think that they still should be favored here. It may be the Najee Harris uh, foot injury, um, but the Steelers have no players carrying an injury designation uh, heading into this game on their injury report, so uh, I mean, obviously Watt got placed on temporary injury reserve, but uh, looks like Levi Wallace is going to play, Cameron Hayward uh, was just resting, Harris is going to play. I gotta favor the Steelers here, and the Patriots uh, definitely have questionables. But you know, learning the way the Patriots kind of did their uh, injury reports last season, they tend to list everybody as questionable, and it's super annoying. But it is what it is. Uh, they, you know, none of their key players are listed as out or questionable. Um, but I think, you know, the Steelers, I think, have the offensive advantage. You know, it's going to be hard to replace here um, Watt's production. But it's not like their defense sucks aside from Watt. Like, they still have some very good players on their defense. Uh, and I just didn't like what I saw from the Patriots in Week 1. I know everybody believes in Belichick and that they're just going to right the ship because they're the Patriots. But... Uh, if that's the case, they should have found a way to be more competitive against the Dolphins, and uh, they really didn't. Dolphins kind of embarrassed them, and I know they want to get that taste out of their mouth, but with Mac Jones' back spasms uh, you know, flaring up at any given time, we don't know how he's going to perform either. I just like Mike Tomlin to get the job done here, so I'm going with the Steelers. Rids picks. Rids went Patriots. Boo. The next game on deck is the 1-0 Commanders on the road at the Lions. This is going to be a good one. Lions are favored by 1.5 at home. I guess what they did against Philly was enough to warrant the confidence that uh, we've seen in them so far this season, uh, or at least through the preseason. 
I need to check the injury report on this game, so uh, bear with me as I do that. I do like what I saw from the Lions uh, for the most part in week one. Uh, they managed to, you know, not quit, but, you know, they got DeAndre Swift questionable here. He's probably going to play. Uh, Jonah Jackson questionable. Nobody else I see really as uh, major injuries on either team. So it's just going to be who's better here. And Detroit at home. Uh, Washington did struggle with Jacksonville, and I would have to say that the Lions are probably better than Jacksonville, although they were kind of in the same boat last season. Uh, so I would imagine that there's going to be some struggle for the commanders here, but you know, they're getting their new quarterback in place too. I could, I could totally see Carson Wentz making a really killer late turnover in this game that leads to Detroit winning. Uh, I mean, if you had to hold my feet to the fire on this one, I'd probably say the commander's defense is going to be the difference here. Um, but they did give up 22 points to Jacksonville as well. Uh, in theory, on paper, I would say that they have the better defense. And as much as I don't want to pick against the Lions here, because I do like what they're doing over there, I'm probably sticking with Washington on this one. Rids picks. Rids is taking the Lions. Next game on deck is the 1-0 surprise Seattle Seahawks, the only team in the NFC West with a win on the road at the 49ers who are 0-1. The Niners are 8.5-point favorites. I think it came down from 9.5, over-under of 40, and the Seahawks are plus 335. So, again, the Seahawks are being treated like they're not good. Um... And I, they, I mean, they didn't score in the second half against Denver. So once Denver kind of figured out what they were doing, that was it. Um, but the Niners didn't look great in their monsoon game either. So it's kind of tough to tell where exactly the 49ers are in the Trey Lance era. Um, can they win this game by nine? For sure they can. Uh, do they win this game by nine? I don't know because I didn't see enough information in the first game and that's a big spread against a team that you know pretty well against a coach that knows you pretty well uh, and in some games where they're always close I think Seattle beat San Francisco both times last year um, I know they at least won one off of them I don't know if they got them the second time but I think they got them the second time too so even when the Niners were clearly the better team last year uh, Seattle still managed to get W's in there. So to me, that says Seattle is going to cover in this game. Um, the Niners need to win, though. And watching Seattle's offense kind of just go into remission in the second half and not scoring at all says that a Denver team could kind of figure out what they were doing. And, you know, the Niners are going to watch that tape. So I will take San Francisco to win, probably go on Seahawks to cover there. Uh, even though the plus 335 is nice, in, you know, necessity matters a lot here. And I think the Niners need to not start the season 0-2. It would be funny to see them start the season 0-2 and immediately go back to Jimmy G, though. Uh, that would be an interesting turn of events. I don't think it's going to happen, uh, but we'll take the Niners to win that game. Rids picks. Rids is also going 49ers, especially with... Kittle listed as questionable. If he plays, that'll make a big difference. Uh, if he doesn't, you know, maybe it's it's closer than it probably should be. Next game on deck, the Falcons go to the Rams. You know the Rams were definitely uh, embarrassed in that first game of the season by the Bills. They're going to look to get one back. They should theoretically be the better team. They're favored by 10 for a reason. Uh, definitely can win by 10. Um, Brian Allen, their center's out. Van Jefferson's still out. Got Joe Noteboom questionable after Von Miller gave him the business. Uh, Leonard Floyd is questionable. Aaron Donald rested, so he'll be there. Uh, I, you know, the Rams, let's not kid ourselves, the Rams are the better team, but uh, the Falcons, uh, you know, is Mariota going to be able to deal with the kind of stuff that's happening in his face? I don't even see an injury report for the Falcons. I don't know what kind of wanky jank business this is. Uh, 
but he gets a designation. Let's see, Damian Williams designated on official injury report. Other than that, I don't really see... Uh, everyone was given the green light to play. Uh, except for Damian Williams that got something, but it doesn't look like he's listed as out either. Uh, formal, oh, he was formally ruled out with a rib injury on Friday afternoon. So, you know, although they played the Saints close, in theory, the Rams' defense should be better than the Saints' defense. And just the way that they got beat in Week 1, I, I don't see a Sean McVay team coming out here and losing. They're going to have to figure the offense out a little bit, but I'm comfortable taking the Rams. And I might even take them by 10. That's the only question that I really have. If I had to pick a lock this week, I would definitely say the Rams are in the running for it. Uh, should be interesting, though, to see if they can actually rebound and put some offense together, if they're going to have to win this game on the defensive side of the ball. But on the defensive side of the ball, they are theoretically the superior team. So I'll take the Rams. Rids picks. Rids is going against her favorite team and going with the Rams. The next game on deck is Houston at Denver. Houston came away uh, with a moral victory uh, after they tied Indy 20-20 in a game where they got way outgained. Uh, and Denver came away with a loss and a moral loss as, you know, they, they shit the bed on the, the final drive of the game where it looked like they were going to have a chance to win. Uh, didn't even try to go for it. Uh, tried to hit a 64-yard field goal with a kicker who's one of four in his career. One of five now, but was only one of four from plus 60 in his career. Uh, in general, 60-yarders are not a high percentage kick. And you have Russell Wilson on that team, and you pay him a lot of money. Uh, so that's it's an issue that they'll have to address in terms of trusting uh, the coach and the players on the field and just getting all that on the same page you know Russell Wilson gave a very politically correct answer saying that like we got one of the best the best kicker in the game I trust that he's gonna make that because what else is he gonna do say uh, no they should have given me the ball you know Ru Russ is never gonna be the guy to do that so I could understand you know you look at the second half of that game but Denver only still scored a field goal against the Seattle defense uh, this is not the Houston Broncos. I don't know why I wrote that. This COVID brain fog is real, people. If you haven't had it, uh, it definitely just adds some layers of confusion to your day. Um, but yeah, Houston, Houston hung in there. They were winning that game, I think, twenty to three, and then gave up seventeen unanswered points to end up in a tie. This is a close game. Denver by ten in this game is highly suspect. I'll take Houston to cover ten. Um, just because it didn't look like the Broncos offense was all that good but you know they did they moved the ball a lot uh similar to what Indianapolis did against Houston in week one so I could see a lot of uh yardage production but converting that into points is going to be a big deal and um just what I saw from the Seattle offense against the Denver defense you know they were able to get up to that uh, 17 points and then didn't score in the second half so there will be some adjustments to make I think 10 points is uh, way too big in this game but it, it is possible if Denver comes out and you know cleans up everything but it's clear that you know Denver still has work to do Russell Wilson just ending up on the team didn't make uh, a massive difference right away uh, they still kind of did exactly what they did last season and were you know a mediocre team and that's where they are right now so they got their work cut out for them uh, Houston is also on the way up so I could see Houston also sneaking this game out you just never know um, but looking at a, a 10 point spread in that game I just I think is ridiculous uh, there's not enough information to really indicate that there should be a spread like that um, Justin Britt's the only injury but he is the center uh, everybody else game status unspecified that doesn't help at all 
uh, KJ Hamler is out for Denver, so one of their deep threats is gone. So probably look at a little bit more tight end heavy of an approach like they did in Seattle. Uh, Randy Gregory questionable. Uh, so yeah, I, I think Denver wins. 10 is a lot. Um, but maybe it isn't. I don't even know anymore. But definitely go with the Broncos. They need a W. Reds picks. Broncos it is. And what do we got next here? We got uh, Arizona 0-1 at the Raiders 0-1. Raiders favored by 5.5. I'm not going to look too deeply into any more of this. I think the Raiders get on track. Um, that's just what I see for now. Uh, do, 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 do. Who's out? Raiders will be without Andre James. Denzel Perriman's out, so that's not good for them. Uh, Zach Ertz is still meh. Andy Isabella out. Rondale Moore out. So it's still going to be a Zach Ertz, Hollywood Brown, AJ Green kind of a thing for Arizona. And it didn't look great. And we saw that the Chiefs defense isn't necessarily great either. It's middle of the road. I think the Raiders have a significantly better defense than the Chiefs. I think you're talking about a team that's like a mid-level defense to a team that's a good defense. Not a, quite an elite defense, but the Raiders also held the Chargers in check to 24 points. Um, so I got to go with the Raiders here. Raiders by five and a half, over under 51. These teams might light each other up though. Uh, I just like the Raiders weaponry and the health of their defense better. So I will take them at uh, five and a half to win and to cover on that one. Reds picks the Raiders. And then after that, we got Cincy on the road at Dallas. Cincy took a, took a loss in that first one. Uh, they had a lot of opportunities to win that game that they probably shouldn't have had, but you know, if they don't turn the ball over five times again, they should be okay. The Dallas defense will put pressure on them here and there. Michael Parsons is probably going to be in the backfield. Uh, I think looking at Cincinnati's offensive line and their continued struggles to pass protect is not ideal for them. So I think Dallas probably still hangs in that game. And it's always these kind of games where, you know, you would think that Cincinnati would be favored by a ton here, but they're only favored by seven, even with Prescott out. Um, so I like that better. At least it acknowledges that, you know, Dallas still may present some problems to them. Uh, but I will take the Bengals. I've got no reason to think the Bengals don't win this game. Uh, they probably win by more than seven, but uh, at minus 345, they're heavy favorites. I just hope that Pollard and Zeke uh, get as much work as possible for fantasy football purposes. And, you know, if the Dallas defense can get after it, then they have a legit chance at least to cause some problems. Uh, but Cincinnati just needs to get the ball out of Burrow's hands quickly. And aside from really the one matchup with Diggs against Chase, uh, I would say Cincinnati has the advantage at all the other uh, receiving positions. So, again, no reason to not think that the Bengals are going to win that game fairly easily. Rids picks. Rids likes the boys. Uh, after that, we get Bears. On the road at the Packers, they're plus 360. Packers need to right the ship. They're minus 10 favorites at home, over under of 41. I, I'm i not a believer in the Packers defense being as uh, highly ranked as some people do. Um, I've heard it for like year in, year out of like Packers defense, Packers defense. I just, I haven't seen it from them as being an elite defense. Uh, they're a good defense. Uh, and the Bears offense is not necessarily gangbusters, but the Bears are going to have some confidence. The Packers still have a lot of stuff to work out. Uh, I'll take the Bears to cover that 10. But if, you know, Aaron Rodgers doesn't really lose to the Bears. And, uh, I mean, in his career, it's probably like one of those crazy matchups where he's lost to the Bears like once. Uh, let's, I'll tell you right now. Let's see. His career record against the Bears is 22-5. and five. And, you know, this is probably a better Bears team than they played in the past. This Bears team actually, I think, played them pretty tough last season, at least in one game. Uh, 
so there's reason to think that the Bears could potentially win this game. I just think uh, it's it's almost must-win territory for the Packers. It's obviously not really must-win territory for them, but to start the season 0-2 uh, would be pretty catastrophic for them. Not to say that they couldn't bounce back and still win, but they have to look better than they did last week, and they're at home. I'll take the Packers to win. I could see the Bears definitely covering that 10, though, but for what it's worth, I'll go Packers, and I'll probably take the Bears to cover this red there. Rids picks. Rids says Packers. Uh, game after that, we get Tennessee. First Monday night game on the docket, uh, the Tennessee Titans 0-1 at the Buffalo Bills. Tennessee didn't look good in their loss. Uh... And the Bills look great in their win, and the Bills are coming home. There's obviously a lot of pressure on them, but I think the team last year maybe was more susceptible to the pressure. Uh, Them being the top dog this season is a much different situation for them. They're minus 480, 10-point favorites, and unless they're... um, There's a surprise injury to Gabe Davis where he's questionable now, Um, but I think even without Davis, the way that... New York was a, uh, uh, excuse me, the Giants were able to run the ball against Tennessee, uh, gives the Bills potential offense a lot of potency. Um, You know, they can go three running backs deep potentially and just keep the ball on the ground. Josh Allen probably is going to, you know, use his legs here. But Gabe Davis questionable with an ankle injury, so he was limited in practice uh, on Saturday. Diggs, too, but I think he's just resting. Uh, And then you have Ed Oliver, who's out with uh, ankle injury from the Rams game. So it's going to be Tim Settle. It's going to be Daquan Jones in the middle. But those are two two big boys. And Jordan Phillips also really had a good game against the Rams. So as much as I like Ed Oliver, as good as he is and uh, as big of a difference maker as he can be, I think the Bills are going to be okay in terms of their uh, injury issues. And just looking at Tennessee, I know that they need to win and they are typically a uh, pain in the ass kind of opponent for the Bills uh, at least historically they're without Christian Fulton at cornerback Dontrell Hillard's out as well uh, Jamarco Jones is out at offensive tackle so they're just I don't think they're equipped in this particular matchup and as long as the Bills are not their own worst enemy if they don't turn the ball over four times uh, and give Tennessee a chance that shouldn't be there they should cruise and they should win by 10 uh, no problem Rids picks Rids has taken the bills good girl the last game on the docket Vikings on the road at 1-0 Vikings plus 110 at the 1-0 Eagles minus 130 and the Eagles are favored by two at home over under 50 and a half Whew. interesting game Uh, These are two teams that are vying right now for the, you know, maybe the top spot in the NFC, depending on how things shake out. Um, They're similar in kind of quality, I would say, where nobody is 100% sure that either of these teams is really the best team in the NFC right now. Uh, But they both have good young talent. Uh, They both have a run game. The Eagles, I would say, have the better defense. Uh, but matchup-wise, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this one shakes out. It's one of the closer games at only two points. Uh, I think it's the second lowest spread, and it's, it's, it's as close to a pick'em game as you could get. I like what I saw from the Eagles in Week 1 against Detroit. They scored 38 points. I don't like that their defense gave up 35, though, and DeAndre Swift ran over them, too. So that bodes well for Minnesota and uh, a little bit more experienced quarterback in Kirk Cousins and a more dynamic, dangerous receiver in Justin Jefferson. I expect Thielen to probably have some big moments in this game as well. You might even see uh, Irv Smith factor in here and uh, Dalvin Cook. The Eagles, I don't know. It's tough. I, I have a bad history with picking the Vikings, but I picked them correctly in week one. Last week, it was like every time I picked them, they lose, and every time I didn't pick them, they win. So right now, I'm on the right side of that curve. I don't know what to pick, but I think if everything were to go according to plan, 
I would probably think that Minnesota's got a good chance to win this game. It's going to be Jalen Hurts for me that will be the difference maker because he can do things at the quarterback position that Kirk Cousins can't do. And he may have to because what we saw also against the Lions was that uh, the Eagles' offensive line was giving up a lot of pressure. Uh, and that's not going to be good long term. But A.J. Brown did well. You know, kind of just is what it is. But my gut says the Vikings. I don't want to listen to my gut all the time. But uh, it may not be official, but... As much as my friend Jason is not going to like this, I'm going to pick the Vikings to win this game. Rids picks. But Rids likes Philly sports. She's going Eagles. We made it to the end. I made it to the end. And if you're here, then you also made it. So that's why I'm saying we. But, you know, it was rough. Obviously, you can hear it in my voice. I'm still getting better. I should be better by next week. Uh, I'm going to have to be by Tuesday because i got another one of these shows to do for the Bills. But... Uh, until next time, stay safe, be well, and for my co-host, Kristen Ortiz, who's not here, happy Football Sunday. Thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to the episode. I still believe that word of mouth is the best way to help, so if you enjoyed it, please tell somebody. But liking, subscribing, and sharing go a long way, too. This show is an extension of thescheiss.com, and you can contact me at info at or at Scheiss Podcast on Twitter. And until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Bills.